Hi everyone, Lucas Werner here. If you've been enjoying these conversations about art and culture, you might want to check out the newest releases from David's Werner Books, where we've published award-winning titles on Diane Arbus, Yayoi Kusama, and Carrie James Marshall, in addition to Ekphrasis, the critically acclaimed series of texts on art. This season, look out for books from the likes of Catherine Bernhardt, Noah Davis, and Marcel Zama, as well as new additions to the beloved Ekphrasis series. Visit davidswernerbooks.com to learn more. This is Cause. I'm an artist. From David Zwerner, this is Dialogues, a podcast about artists and the way they think. Yeah, I mean, I, I just look at this as a new medium. You know, now I think like, you know, I work in bronze, I work in plastic, and, you know, now I'm working in AR. I mean, I feel like the experience is, is really an authentic experience. I'm Lucas Werner, and every episode features a conversation. We're taking artists, writers, philosophers, designers, and musicians, and putting them in conversation with each other to explore what it means to make things today. This week's guest is the artist Cause. When we recorded this conversation in the spring, the U.S. had just gone into lockdown right as Cause launched his latest venture, a collaboration with the augmented reality app Acute Art. The plan was to virtually place cause works in public spaces in cities all over the world through augmented reality, making them widely accessible to everyone through the app. COVID changed those plans, of course, as it did everyone's. But while the art world struggled to go virtual, cause was already operating with new technology in mind. His work has always emphasized democratization and innovative forms of presentation, and his eagerness to explore new digital possibilities could point a way forward for the rest of the art world, too. So I thought we could start by talking a little bit about acute and and what that how you got together with that with with I guess those programmers and began to develop the the app. You know, I was contacted honestly just through Instagram from Daniel Birnbaum and he reached out to me ex- explaining about the company and you know, I was familiar with him so I looked into it and I saw that they're doing all these amazing things. And so we just kind of like when we met, we hit it off and it's just a very small company, but they're doing really amazing things. And I didn't quite know what to do immediately, but it kind of fell into place really quick. But it feels like the focus really is, is to take that augmented reality experience and, and, and tweak it. So it's really good for art, right? Cause like augmented reality applications, programs, those things exist. But this feels very targeted. Yeah, I mean, the thing about, like, I was never really interested in virtual reality because of the headsets and the awkwardness of it. And I felt like augmented reality was just really inclusive. And it seemed in line with the public works that I was doing. You know, often I had this series called Holiday where we'd have these large inflatables. um, And they'd only last for, you know, 10 days in Hong Kong or Doha or wherever we had them. But most of that imagery would just disseminate through images, you know, through social media and stuff. And I feel like this augmented reality was just a next step into that. In Hong Kong, you know, there's tons, hundreds of thousands of people seeing the actual piece. But then what the way it, you know, disseminates across the world through social is, you know, you're just talking about millions instantly. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how you, well, how the app actually works, because it's it's both 
local and global, right? It's, it's capitalizing on the same energy because you can place these things and you have placed them in locations like augmented locations, as it were, all around the world. Well, the original intention for the app was to have these giant outdoor exhibitions, you know, these sort of monumental scale augmented reality pieces. And then, you know, at the same time, we were going to have smaller pieces that could be, you know, placed in anyone's home or anywhere, really, that can just live the same way that the toys that I make live. And, you know, right at the day of the rollout is pretty much when the virus happened. So the the public aspect of it kind of got taken away momentarily. But actually, it's, it's I'm finding I'm having a lot of fun with it in the situation that we're in. Because if you download the app, you have access to ones that you can instantly place in your home. And I, I really think that's what's taking, you know, sort of taking the lead at this moment. And, you know, I'm constantly every, you know, every time I refresh my phone on Instagram, I see DMs coming in from, you know, the sculpture in this this city, this city, this country. And it it's pretty interesting to watch. I guess for those people who are listening who haven't used the app, basically, you know, you can pick one of your sculptures. There's a selection of a few different options and you can move the thing, move the phone, look at a space in a room and place it in the room and then move you know, forward and backward and really kind of examine this object at its real height. So say the thing is like 25 inches, then when your phone is 25 inches off the ground, you're at the head of the sculpture and you see it on your screen. Obviously, people will have to try it out as they're listening to this because an explanation does certainly doesn't do it justice. But how do you think about those virtual objects vis-a-vis the real objects of the same kind that they're based on? Yeah, I mean, I, I just look at this as a new medium. You know, now I think like, you know, I work in bronze, I work in plastic, and, you know, now I'm working in AR. I mean, I feel like the experience is is really an authentic experience. But you don't think about the fact that, of course, you know, you need to be, that the room is empty when you're looking at it normally, and that it's only full of the sculptures, as it were, when you're looking through the phone, or I guess you could look at it with it, with a headset on theoretically too. Yeah, I mean, it's mostly for your phone, but at this point, I feel like most people constantly have their phone with them. And I don't know, it's just a lot of times, you know, when you see a work, you, you're you instinctively, at least I am, to take a photo of it. So, so this kind of, you know, and the same thing with these works, like people can walk around them, they can be behind them or in front of them. And they, they kind of feel like an object in the room when you're looking through the device. It's almost like an overlay. I mean, you could imagine a second world populated by all sorts of different art made by artists that are only operating the augmented sphere, right? That's almost like an overlay over all of reality. And I know that, you know, you've done that with certain artworks, right? I mean, you show me pictures of, of virtual figures standing in front of art in museums. I think one of your guys is standing in front of a bacon <laughs> and there's and there's like and you talked about, you know, putting one inside of a Kusama exhibit that we had at the gallery. Like, there are these kind of double moments of art on art that I think is in itself a new kind of experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the subversive aspect to it. For me, I feel like it brings me full circle to kind of how I started with, you know, working over ads and putting work in the street. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the, the early days. I mean, People know, of course, that you began with graffiti, among other things. But but what was that like? Because I do think that this, this medium is kind of a return or extension of that graffiti practice in a way. You know, I when 
as we were developing, you know, with Acute, the the app, and I started to see the sculpture, and it just makes so many possibilities open up. You know, I'm so used to dealing with the logistics of, you know, say this like 20 foot bronze work and how to install it, how to get it there, and does it fit through these doorways? And theoretically, I can show up at a place with my phone, you know, geotag five or six, you know, 40 foot sculptures and create an environment that people can just walk around and view through their phones. You know, when I was first starting out, I got into painting over the advertisements just because that was one of the only outlets. You know, I I was like hungry to get my work into the world, but didn't really know how to, you know, how to start a dialogue with people publicly. And and that was kind of what I found my way into. Even from the early days, I would imagine putting your work out in the world meant communicating with lots of people, right? I mean, that was like, that was mission critical to your practice. Back then, it was like a one-way conversation. It was before social media, and you don't really get much feedback aside from peers. But I was always interested in sort of having my work visible, you know, in the environments that I walk around. Yeah, because, you know, again, one thing you and I have spoken about before a little bit is this question of the kind of larger audience that your work reaches through all its different manifestations, whether it's collaborations or, you know, just the smaller toys uh, versus the much smaller audience that is sort of committed only to the, quote, fine art side of your practice. I I honestly do think about them as one audience. I I just think a a lot of the people that, you know, especially younger people that interact with my work on a more accessible level, those are the people that are becoming the collectors of tomorrow and the museum goers of tomorrow. And, you know, whenever I'm making something, I'm thinking about how was I reached, you know, when I was younger and what stuck with me, you know, just like those true experiences. What were some of those for you? You know, I mean, magazines and different books and stuff is kind of how I saw most of the art that I got into when I was younger. And through graffiti, I got to learn about, you know, a lot of artists. And even to this day, like the impression, like the photos of Lee Quinona's whole car, I mean, that as a work is, is just so powerful in my mind. And how did you, in a funny way, like that's one set of influences, but I know that there's also kind of fine art influences too. I mean, I've always just been very sort of hungry and, and sort of searched out things that I got interested in, whether, you know, say in comics or something would bring me into an artist like Crumb or music, an artist like Pettibone. You just, you just pick up these things. It's like, I remember the moment when I started to realize that all the skate graphics that I liked, you know, who the artists were, like Jim Phillips or... You know, and then you just, you realize everything is made by people and you start to figure out who's doing the stuff that has made an impact on you. Because you, in addition to being an artist, obviously are, are collect a lot of art, you know, across the board. And was that something that like began with, with magazines and in the early days too? I mean, I've always sort of, yeah, I've always sort of collected things on different scales. And, you know, I, I love to have like my surroundings, like uh, sort of, like a highly visually charged environment, you know? So it's it's good for me to keep a lot of art around me and graphics and different things. You know, I always love books. I had, you know, books before I can buy art. 
what kind of what, what, visually oriented books or all sorts of books? Or no, just like just of... like artist books, you know, whether it's like monographs or exhibition catalogs or. Are there any that made a particular impression? Not that there needs to be an answer, but I'm, I'm always curious about uh, artist books that stick out. I mean, one of my favorite exhibitions was at the Stedlick. I, I saw it, I think it was in 2001 or two, was a show called Eye Infection. And that that had, you know, Crumb and Peter Saul and Jim Nutt and Mike Kelly, Westerman. And it's really the first time I saw so much of that work in person. You know, I was familiar with Saul, but I, I never saw that many paintings in one place. And the catalog for that book is amazing, too. I know I've spoken with you about some artists that are considered outsider artists, like we've talked about Bill Trailer, James Castle. And I know that you're involved in the Folk Museum. Sort of how, how what draws you to that aesthetic? I don't know. I, you know, it's just something that I sort of gravitated towards. I, I find it refreshing, you know, just... Once you get into the artist's work, I mean, there's no difference. You're in a room with with a Ramirez drawing and a, you know, whatever other contemporary artists, and it's not like you put on different sort of thinking cap to look at them. It's just sort of how it the presence it has. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that's what I like. I mean, I like so much about when I've spoken with you in the past is that there's a sense that each image carries the weight that it carries. Right, it's almost like you're looking at objects dehistoricized, if that makes sense. Right, you're 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 less concerned with uh, the backstory and more concerned with the immediate impression. Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of, and when you bring those things into a room, amongst other drawings, and they have whole new relationships. So, you know, I have a, the '60s Ruche bubble letter piece that, you know, hung in a room that has Dandy pieces and you know Lee pieces. It's just kind of funny. It, it it works, you know. It feels like family, right? Because I, you know, I do think that's been one of the reasons it's taken so long for outsider art to kind of make it more mainstream. Because there's a fear of relying too much on the surface of the image, and I guess I understand it, right? There's a kind of the gatekeepers want to maintain that kind of historical uh, precedent, right, or that sense of history around objects. And I'm curious if that's something that, if there's something you feel like you're kind of working against, not against it, but you're challenging that in some way. No, I don't, I don't feel like I'm working against anything. I just feel like, you know, it's all individuals. They're, they're in a space making the work that they make. And who's to say something's more valid than something else? I don't, you know, I've never seen it that way. You know, I always realize that my interests are my interests and I'm not really trying to convert anyone it's it i think that's a that's an interesting point because i do think there's in many cases like a there's a kind of battle happening on two levels right one is the acceptance that everyone has their own interests and the other is a feeling that there is some truth about what art is more important than other art you know what i mean that there's a kind of canonical truth whether it's the truth that museums support or the truth that you know a great collector supports and you know, I even think, you know, if you were to ask yourself deep down, you, you might have some hierarchies in your mind about what's better than than something, you know, which things are better than others. I'm just curious how you navigate those two levels, I guess. Yeah, I guess, you know, I always see people like to put things in categories and I try to avoid that. You know, even with my with myself, I think a lot of times people, you know, because I, I 
retain the name cause immediately are like, oh, street art. And they're looking at, you know, a 30 foot wooden sculpture and, and calling it street art. And I just don't, I don't understand that at this point, but I don't have the energy to really argue that. I just sort of keep it moving. So tying back a little bit to the beginning, where do you think all of this kind of virtual activity will go? And I, I don't want to ask you to be like, you know, too prophetic about it, but you know, it, let's say in an ideal world, how would you see virtual art and real objects sort of mingling together? What would that look and feel like? I mean, you know, I think of it now, just, just as I said before, with just being a new medium. You know, I, I, see it, I see the AR pieces in an exhibition with traditional sculpture and painting. And it just sort of, I don't know, it just gives me a new tool to sort of express through. I feel like I'm really only getting into it right now, like just the beginnings. And it wouldn't be, and I have no answer, I'm just sort of thinking it through as we talk about it, but it wouldn't be problematic that, you know, you'd walk in and you'd see one version of the show and then you take your phone out and you'd see another version of the show. No, I actually like that idea, you know, and I like the idea of being able to, to execute works in situations that were never possible before. I mean, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, that's why the the first piece I did in AR was um, the holiday piece where he's, he's floating because I wanted to, yes. you know, I wanted to go just against gravity, which only you can only do that in, you know, AR. That's one way of, of experiencing the digital. And the other way, of course, is to actually experience it kind of experiencing art online, which is something that, of course, we're all doing now effectively because it's the only way to experience art, yeah. at least in this moment. What, what are your feelings about that as, as a kind of, not as a medium, but more as a presentation mechanism, right? As a kind of context. You know, I want people to see my paintings in person. When they're, you'll, you, like, you're never going to replace that. There's never, you know, just a feeling of, of a work in front of you. It just, it just on the screen doesn't feel that way. I don't know. But I guess one thing we're thinking about, or I, I've been thinking about, is that, of course, you accept at the beginning that an online exhibition is not going to have work in person, right? But you get other things that you don't get in a physical exhibition, right? You get the ability to embed video, to embed audio, to have these overlay experiences, textual narrative experiences that wouldn't be possible uh, in most cases. And certainly you can't compare those to like having an audio guide. You know, this is so much, it's just so different. No, I, I, I think it's gotten much more sophisticated and there's definitely a plus to it. If, you know, like even my, my exhibition in Australia at the NGV had to come down early, but then they made a virtual tour and they told me, that, you know, immediately there was like, I forgot the first week or so there was over 20, 30,000 people visited. Wow. And that, you know, it didn't even occur to us to do that before the situation we're in at the moment. So, and now, of course, every physical show will probably have a virtual component too. Yeah, because in, in reality, you know, XML can only get to a space at somewhere in the world. So why not open it up? And I think if more galleries, museums start to just consider that as necessary, then it, it will get more complex and more interesting. Personally, I never understood a, a gallery or a museum that doesn't focus on their digital presence. As galleries, the, the dig digital space is the kind of the most amazing way to meet new audiences. 
right? And I imagine it's probably would be the same for someone like you. It's like the, the, the number of people that will see work in person, like you said, uh, is small compared to the number of people that will experience some version of it on Instagram, right? No, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, it's great for getting, you know, not everyone's so confident that they can just walk right into, you know, a museum or a gallery. But when they're home, they can take time and learn about it and then say, yeah, actually, this is a place I want to visit. Yeah, I mean, I've always said that, you know, the, the, the online space is as thoughtful as we are thoughtful about it, right? Like, there's no reason why a catalog is necessarily more thoughtful or more interesting or deeper, richer than an online experience. It's just that less energy and time have gone into creating online experiences to represent the visual. And that's changing, feels like. Yeah, it's definitely changing. I guess with when you have a physical book, though, you kind of have that reality that this object's sitting around forever. And and it doesn't it doesn't hit as heavy when you think of digital because you you know but but it's the same and I mean it definitely will be seen by more people. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is like you know when you make a catalog, you commission serious essays, you do all these things. Like you can do the same thing when you make an online exhibition, right? Like there's there's no one saying, oh well, it's an online thing, so we might as well not ask a serious art historian to engage with the work. Yeah, and I think once you know institutions start to put more care into making their archives available, you know, in, in a good way on, online, then that, that can create a lot of opportunity for sort of researchers and students. When you're kind of out in the world now, let's say, what are some of the, the sources that you go to most for information, for research? I mean, if you're thinking about new work or even theoretically imagining uh, new characters that could be introduced, like what, what, what are, what does that process look like for you? I don't know. I, I kind of feel like it just sort of comes about all the time, you know, depending on whether I'm looking for it or not. But I do, you know, as far as seeing work, I see a lot on Instagram from different artists. And I do try to leave my studio once in a while to see a gallery or a museum. <laughs> but, you know, the reality of it with small kids, I'm either home or in the studio. Uh, I, f I feel like I see, I see more, you know, museums or stuff when I travel. Are there any other mediums that media that you're kind of interested in? If the augmented reality is sort of one new take, is there anything else that feels like it's potentially rich for exploration? I mean, I'm I'm in no rush to to move into new mediums. You know, I I feel like I was very hesitant even with AR because what I had envisioned it being wasn't what I realized it it could be. And now I'm I'm just what what had what had you what had you envisioned it being? You know I don't like. I only want to create something that feels like a true experience, and I think if you take the time to, to look at the app and to you know move around the work in your room, like that sits in your mind just the way you know when you visit a gallery and you leave it. So, I'm just now thinking about new ways. You know, like we just sort of introduced these flat drawings into the app and just thinking of like how I can take different parts of my practice and put them into a space in a way that I couldn't before. I mean, that's interesting that, that what you're kind of saying is that not that you, not that you need to be tied to this, but that a kind of robust experience of, of art or of a visual object is something that you kind of sits with you even when you're no longer there. Right. Which, which sounds right to me. It's like when you see 
a great installation or a great sculpture, it does have an afterlife in your mind. And that that's the thing that has been missing in a funny way until now in these virtual presentations, that they don't register in that same way. Yeah, I think I think until you're walking around it in a space, you know, looking at it, I, I know it's through your device and it's hard for people to get their head around that, but... No, no, but it's physical motion, right? I mean, that's the thing that people need to... It's not like the device does it for you. It's like the device is, is, a, is a, an overlay, right? Like a special piece of glass that reveals a new part of reality. Yeah, like and you're also experiencing the object in relationship to its surroundings. So whether it's in Times Square or in your, you know, your living room, that's all built into the experience for you. Maybe that's the really important part that what this brings to the table is that you can see all these objects in situ in all sorts of different situations. So you can actually get all that play, all the richness that comes from, you know, juxtaposition that the thing is next to a bunch of buildings, that it's with people, that it's with cars. No, exactly. And I mean, our next sort of thing that we're going towards is to bring other artists into the app so you can have, you know, sort of a curation of different objects by different people in the same space, the same way you can collect with, you know, physical objects. And I guess the the related to that is, you know, we, we, we tinkered yesterday a little bit with the, the ability to change the shadow and the light and like how much work went into all of that i mean the people you know there, there's one guy rodrigo at acute who's amazing and that really a lot lays on him you know being the, the engineer but it's just a lot of back and forth i mean it's really no difference than when i'm working with a foundry on a on a bronze piece or you know and i'm seeing i'm going to see updates and looking at the texture and or the paint finish the you know the sort of relationships the same like i was on talking with him this morning about this project that we're going to introduce in a few days and we were just looking at that like how does it sit how far should it sit off the floor what the shadow strength should start out when you open the app it's interesting because it's so much like reality and then of course it has all its own toggles you start off with no restrictions it's like you know i can whether i make the piece 20 feet or 20 inches there's no there's no cost change for me or no you know you don't have to think about doorways or how to get into a space so it really opens up a lot of options so then you have to figure out how to edit that to be like what's going to be you know what's going to feel like the right choice and that's the process of going back and forth yeah i mean that's one of it aside from the color the brightness of you know how the piece looks how the surface looks does it feel matte or shiny? You know, it's the same thing when you're when you're sort of discussing a paint finish or something, you know. I really do think it's only sort of like just getting started. Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how all this virtual stuff carries on into a world where we can socialize again. And that will probably, much of it will, you know. Oh, absolutely. This was... Uh... This was really fun to hear about that project and talk a little bit about your practice. Thank you. Dialogues is produced by David Zwerner. You can find out more about the artists on this series by going to davidswerner.com slash dialogues. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really does help other people discover the show. I'm Lucas Werner. Thanks so much for listening. 
and I hope you join us again next time.